The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. On this episode of Newt's World... A few weeks ago, I wrote an op-ed entitled, It's Time to Balance the Budget. You can read it at Gingrich360.com. And I argued, the only way to avoid a disastrous level of inflation that destroys the American standard of living without creating a deep recession that puts millions out of work is to cut government spending dramatically. Understand the numbers are key here. By the end of 2020, the national debt reached $26.95 trillion. By comparison, in 2000, the national debt was $5,629 trillion. And with inflation rising to 5.4% in June, the Biden administration's 2022 budget is $6 trillion. We are going in the wrong direction. As someone who worked with Democratic President Bill Clinton to balance the federal budget for four consecutive years, from 1995 to 1999, the only time in your lifetime we balanced it for four years, I can say unequivocally, there is a moral case for balancing the budget. And we must get a handle on the scale of waste and corruption that is caused by massive spending plans. One example is the roughly $400 billion in unemployment funds lost to fraud during the pandemic. Here to talk about outrageous stories of government wasteful spending is Tom Schatz, President of Citizens Against Government Waste. He has been tracking government wasteful spending for over 35 years, and in fact, we worked with him at the time of the contract with America 
and the effort to balance the budget in the late 90s. Tom, thank you for joining me. I think we're at such a critical time with inflation rising so dramatically and the Biden administration's proposed $6 trillion budget. The only way we have of digging out of this debt is to cut government spending. And I wanted to have you on today because I don't think people realize just how much money is wasted by the federal government on programs that just don't work. So I was hoping you could share some of your insights today since you've studied this topic for over three decades. Let me ask first, you joined Citizens Against Government Waste in 1986. What drew you to that program? First of all, thank you, Mr. Speaker, for having me on. It's good to speak with you. As you mentioned, we did work together. (laughs) I was happy to help balance the budget (laughs) at that time, and I could not agree more that it is way past time to do that again. I had come out of law school and worked for a small law firm. I went to George Washington Law here in Washington, D.C., and then found a job on Capitol Hill working for Congressman Hamilton Fish Jr. as his senior legislative assistant for six years, and then was looking around for new opportunities and heard about Citizens Against Government Waste. Of course, I was familiar with the Grace Commission, which was the study of the federal government under President Reagan that made 2,478 recommendations that would save $424.4 billion over three years and decided it was time to do something to get into a lot of different issues related to how the government could really become more efficient and effective. And a number of those ideas were brought up through the contract with America and other efforts that were made in Congress. And in fact, almost $2 trillion has been saved since Citizens Against Government Waste was established as a result of these kinds of recommendations. So even though government spending is out of control, Certainly it would have been worse without all the things that people have done to reduce it over the years and try to make it more efficient. Let me ask you, has the amount of government waste changed since you joined Citizens Against Government Waste in 1986? I think the way that Congress has been spending money is different. As you know, it's become much more partisan. It's made it more difficult to come to an agreement. And you know the old story, there are three parties in Washington, Democrats, Republicans, and appropriators. The appropriators seem to agree to spend almost anything on whatever they feel like. Also, the transportation committees are fairly profligate as well with their spending. So I think it's changed because the objections to programs have turned into criticism of their effectiveness to just criticism of their existence. To explain a little further, you know, everything's become so hyperpartisan that any complaint about any program that benefits anyone is viewed as attacking the person or attacking some group or otherwise undermining what the government can do. And the government's looked at, especially by Democrats, especially the left, as the solution to everything. So the objections have changed. And you can point out, as you and I have done over years, If the program is not achieving its objective, then people are not being helped, they're being hurt. Because the money's coming from the taxpayers, and if you made the program more efficient, you could help more people who truly need it. But it's called, wait, you can't do that, you're taking something away from someone. I think that's changed since we were really trying to achieve the balanced budget. You know, at the end of 2020, the U.S. debt hit $26.95 trillion. It grew from 
5.629 trillion back in 2000. That's five times, 500%. Why is the national debt increasing this much over the past 20 years? Well, everybody's to blame. Efforts were made to provide spending cuts. Every administration has made proposals, by the way, except for this administration. You may have noticed they don't have the section of the budget that's programmed terminations and cuts and consolidations. That's the first time that's happened in years. I wrote an op-ed that said, Joe Biden doesn't believe in government waste. He was Sheriff Joe under President Obama. And, you know, he was supposed to be out there leading the way to help make the government more efficient. Now he's just making it bigger. So I think that's one reason. And even when Republicans had control of the House and Senate and the White House, they could have done a lot more to cut back on spending, and they didn't do quite enough. And as you said, the last time the budget was balanced was the mid-90s, and that was in a, a bipartisan effort. So everybody wants something. And the small group of fiscal conservatives on Capitol Hill, and I mean small in the sense that they're still a minority, just have not been able to get enough done to get spending moving in the right direction. Republican Study Committee has a balanced budget proposal. I saw some today. Rand Paul has his penny proposal. So there are ideas out there. They're just not getting done. So the debt now is at $28.5 trillion. If this pattern continues, the Citizens Against Government Waste warns that the national debt will increase to $41 trillion over the next decade. Did that include the new two big bills that the Biden administration is trying to get passed? I believe it includes some of that, but not all of it. And of course, the estimates of the three and a half trillion are now more like four and a half trillion. And the one and a half trillion is not paid for, as they say it is. The House Budget Committee Republicans said that it's about 350 billion short. So the same gimmicks that the Democrats accused Republicans of using in the last administration, they're using now. And as you know, these projections are never correct in terms of how much gets spent. So $41 trillion might be low, but it's a lot more than the debt is now, and that would be devastating to the economy, to say the least. I mean, first of all, what would that imply that the annual interest payments would have to be? Uh, it, it would end up, I think, being the largest part of the federal budget, if not one of the top two or three. It's already in the top four. But if all you're doing as an individual is making money and paying interest on your debt, you never pay the debt. And it puts the owners of that debt, including foreign countries, into a much stronger position to have an impact on our economy. So if you look at China, and well, China wants to rule the world by 2025, 2030, whatever it is, it, it helps them a lot more than it helps us. And that, that's another issue that people need to recognize. So in effect, it'd be like having a house mortgage where all you're doing is paying the interest and you never pay off the mortgage but every year you go to work in order just to pay the interest on the house. So no matter how long you own it, you'll never own it. Well, you may end up defaulting at some point because your mortgage does become due. And while no one's attempted to collect the debt owed by the federal government, what if they did? What if they suddenly said, you owe us $28 trillion, pay up? That would be a problem. It's also, I think, a sign of how committed Biden is to very, very, very big government that his 2022 budget, as a percentage of the economy, will be at the same level as the budget in World War II when we were fighting a global war and had 15 million men and women in uniform. I mean, that's a staggering scale of government 
and dwarfs Lyndon Johnson or the Great Society or any previous American peacetime activity. I mean, would it be fair to say that this is now an effort to create the largest government in American history? No question about it. It is certainly moving in that direction. And without an effort to stop that or change the conversation, which is what proposing a balanced budget would do, because the reaction would be, well, how do you do that? Well, you're talking, well, we're talking about that because it would make a big difference and be completely the opposite of what's going on. And I think people also need to recognize that states are required to balance their budgets and the states that have done the best job of balancing their budgets, and in many cases creating a surplus, have the best economies, have a lot of red states. But I think that's something a lot of people forget. They look at the federal government, it's here, it's amorphous, it's not local, it's not, you know, your school budget. My father was president of our local school board. I like to bring this up because it relates to property taxes. It's very close to you as an individual and as a family. It's something that has a direct impact on you. The federal government spending, not quite as clear, even though over time it has an impact. But I think if people look at their taxes as an investment, and the return on investment is a $28 trillion debt, they might feel a little differently. I've always thought about you know, sending a letter to everyone saying, hey, this is your share of the national debt in case you want to pay. And I think that would make it a little more personal to everyone, because this is how messages get through, as you well know. If it hits somebody close to home, then they're going to respond a lot more passionately. I saw a note that said that the lowest estimate for the reconciliation bill is $27,000 per person. That's how much it's spending, just that one bill. doesn't count all the rest of government, everything else we're already doing. I mean, it's sort of astonishing. Now, they did go through a little dance where President Trump had proposed 73 rescissions that would have cut spending by about $27 billion. And Biden then, I guess, withdrew all of them, even though some of them had also been proposed by the Obama-Biden budgets. I mean, how did you read that little dance? Well, again, as I wrote in National Review, he doesn't care. He just wants to spend money. He has no interest in any of this. President Biden was involved in the negotiations over the Budget Control Act, which, as you know, set spending caps and did restrain the growth of spending until it expired, and he's not bringing it back. He worked with the Recovery Board, tracked expenditures under the stimulus bill, and as a candidate, he talked about his effort to cut waste when he was working with President Obama would be measured by results, not rhetoric. Well, now we've got rhetoric and spending, <laughs> so... It's a lot different than what he had been talking about or working on. And as you know, when he was a senator, he was certainly not the most far-left senator. There were others who liked to spend a lot more than he did. But now that he's in the White House, I think he's being led or is at least agreeing with everyone who wants to spend money on everything. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now 
wherever you listen. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It seems pretty clear that Biden's administration is actually to the left of Obama in terms of these spending issues. You're less concerned about cutting spending, less concerned about the scale of spending. And I think that's a little bit of a surprise to people that he actually is that much more willing to spend. And one of the areas, of course, that I personally believe needs very dramatic overhaul is the Department of Defense. I used to tell people when they'd ask me if I was a hawk or a dove, I would tell them I hoped I was an owl. I think you need birds that are wise and not just pick between timidity and aggressiveness. But the Pentagon, I think, is such a disaster. If you think about it, they built the building in 1943 for 23,000 people working with manual typewriters and carbon paper. We're now in a world of electronics And I think you could turn the Pentagon into a triangle and take 40% of it and turn it into a museum of national security, and you would be dramatically better off because so many of the bureaucracies now are just so deeply wasteful. There are apparently like 24 agencies that are just in one particular subgroup. You have $2.9 trillion in assets in another subgroup, the Defense Information Systems Agency, But the Pentagon, once again, has failed to pass a clean audit. Actually, I think up until about 10 years ago, it had never been successfully audited. It is such a mess. And it leads to real defense challenges. The F-35 Joint Strike Fighter is the project. was over eight years delayed, $165 billion over the original budget. By 2020... Lockheed Martin had delivered fewer aircraft than originally planned. Fewer deliveries than planned are also expected in 2021. This is just a mess. And that particular program has an estimated lifetime cost of $1,200,000,000,000 for 
for operation and maintenance. I mean, from the standpoint of the whole effort to look at waste, where do you come down in looking at the Pentagon? Well, again, Citizens Against Government Waste grew out of the Grace Commission, and I think about 25% of the $424 billion in savings came out of the Pentagon. That's where the money is, and that's where the inefficiency is in many ways. And so the F-35, we have spoken about for a long time. In fact, we made Representative Mike Turner of Ohio, a Republican, the June 2021 Porker of the Month, because he is also the head of the Joint Strike Fighter Caucus. He thinks that the F-35, quote, is modern and capable. And he also believes that increasing production will further reduce overall program costs. So he has no problem supporting additional JSF earmarks in the budget. We also have the Joint Strike Fighter in our prime cuts. We have it in our congressional pig book. It's really, unfortunately, a huge problem. When Senator McCain was chairman of the Armed Services Committee, he said it's both a scandal and a tragedy with respect to cost, schedule, and performance, and the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition in 2014, that was Frank Kendall, who referred to the whole system as acquisition malpractice. So there have been a lot of comments about the Joint Strike Fighter, but it goes on because the interests that are involved with building it and selling it have a lot more say than the taxpayers. But there's a lot of waste and inefficiency at the Department of Defense. I recall meeting with late Secretary Rumsfeld a couple of times when he was secretary. He really wanted to get something done in terms of reducing spending. It was all the taxpayer groups in town, and it was four or five meetings. It's just such a large operation. It's very difficult to make it more efficient. But every penny that's wasted is a penny that's not being spent to defend the United States of America. So it's, to us, the most wasteful to have money go down the drain at the Pentagon. You know, General Grant's deputy wrote a memoir, and in the memoir he points out that after Lee surrendered at Appomattox, Grant got on a train to go back to Washington and spent the entire ride signing orders to muster troops out of the Army on the grounds that the taxpayer should not pay for the troops one day longer than they were needed. Now, you take that level of frugality and compare it with the current Pentagon, whereas I understand it, and you may be able to explain this, because to me, as a non-accountant, I don't get it. In 2019, the Department of Defense made $35 trillion in accounting adjustments, and that was up from $30 trillion in 18 and $29 trillion in 17. I mean, how can you have a system that has to make almost $100 trillion in accounting adjustments in three years. How can that happen? Well, I know my board of directors would get rid of me if I did that, but I like to have financial statements that don't have adjustments. <laughs> but unfortunately, the consequences are not like they would be in the private sector. And as you know, the solution, at least with members of Congress, is just to go spend more money to solve the problem. That's how things operate here in Washington. You see something wrong, you don't fix it, you spend money. And then if it's not fixed, you spend more money. And that's really what happens, especially at the Pentagon, because if you can spend the money under the guise of national security, it's in many ways a lot easier and a lot more bipartisan to get that money spent. In the 1890s, the Navy Committee in both the House and Senate both had chairs from the state of Maine. And so they rigged the system 
so that U.S. Navy ships would end up in a port in Maine being overhauled. And SOS meant save our ship, which meant don't finish it. And so you'd have ships that sat there for 10 years getting overhauled. And so the result was the U.S. Navy had a relatively decent budget compared to many of other navies, but it was all absorbed by ancient wooden sailing ships that were being repaired in the state of Maine. And it took the Navy League being founded and people like Theodore Roosevelt and Henry Cabot Lodge getting engaged to change the rules and create the modern steel Navy. But it was just always a reminder to me that you sometimes need to look and see, you know, it's not just the executive branch, but who are the people in Congress who are profiting from mandating waste? Now, you guys did something very interesting back in 1991 and something which I think is a a real asset to the taxpayer. You created a book, which you've issued every single year since then, called The Congressional Pig Book, which I just think is a great title. Tell us about The Congressional Pig Book. So The Congressional Pig Book came about because the Reagan Office of Management and Budget decided not to spend money on certain programs and then also identify programs that were not authorized. And so they threatened not to spend the money. And then, of course, Congress threatened to cut OMB's budget. So that was the last year they issued that, uh, that list. So we took that theory and we worked with the Congressional Porkbusters Coalition, a bipartisan group, to come up with a seven-point criteria to determine what would be considered pork barrel spending or earmarks. And we've used the same criteria ever since. So it covers the process. And if the project meets the criteria, it goes into the Congressional Pig Book. So the 2021 Congressional Pig Book had 285 earmarks, which is up 4% from 2020, cost of $16.8 billion, up almost 6% from $15.9 billion in fiscal year 2020. So since 1991, CAGW has identified 111,702 earmarks, costing taxpayers $392.5 billion. We also this year created the earmark database, which has every single one of those earmarks in a database showing over almost 30 years of work identifying these wasteful projects. So I encourage people to look at on our, our website, cagw.org, and see where your money has been going all these years. And by the way, Mr. Speaker, we have always had a press conference with live pigs until, unfortunately, the last two years. pandemic didn't allow us to do that either. But it's been something that's drawn attention. We get members of Congress to come and talk. We did a virtual event this year with, I think it was seven senators and six representatives. But there are people on Capitol Hill who care about earmarks. The only group left that is not taking earmarks are Senate Republicans, at least formally. And that's also something else that they brought back under President Biden. Democrats couldn't wait to agree to get earmarks back into the appropriations bills and the transportation bill. I will, at least on their definition, give them a little credit for not going too far overboard, but we're going to find more than they claim that they include in these bills, I'm sure. It's just an amazing process, and it strikes me that there's a enormous built-in resistance to actually reforming the system and controlling spending. They're all out there to get themselves reelected for the most part, and members of Congress believe that getting reelected requires spending money. 
And the interesting part about earmarks is that it's a very, very small percentage of the budget, 1% or less. Yet it takes up a lot of time and a lot of effort for those members who are requesting them. And the staff of the Appropriations Committee takes up time and effort there. And they often usurp local priorities because if there is, for example, in fact, former Speaker Denny Hastert said that he knows better than the local people where to put a stoplight. I never heard you say that, by the way. (laughs) But it is something that really goes to how things get done. You start in a local community, they set the priorities for transportation, it goes to the state, goes to the federal government. And then it's supposed to be determined by a process in Congress by which 99% of the money is spent. So people that say earmarks are really the executive branch taking authority away from the legislative branch, that's just wrong because 99% of the money is spent exactly how Congress tells the executive branch to spend it. If you don't like it, change the formula. I found that earmarks were really important as a function of control, that a leadership that has earmarks can get the attention of its members and can get them to vote in ways they might not otherwise vote, if in fact they can be rewarded. And that was fascinating. When we abolished earmarks, there was just a huge sense of us making it much harder to get members to vote because we didn't have anything to offer them anymore, or for that matter, to punish them with. We had to just appeal to them and actually have arguments. It was a very interesting period and goes against the underlying psychology of legislative bodies. I think the whole notion of what used to be called log rolling back in the 19th century, I think it goes back to the very beginning. And in a funny way, you could argue that Jefferson and Hamilton having dinner and Hamilton agreeing to support Jefferson putting the capital between Virginia and Maryland, if Jefferson would agree to support funding the national debt, was a kind of gigantic set of earmarks made at the very top, although they were in the executive branch, so it may have been legitimate in a different kind of way. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Let me ask you, have members and staffs just forgotten the concept of balancing the budget? I remember when we were running, Reagan had made it a real issue, and there really was a caucus in favor of balancing the budget And the country had a dialogue with itself. And by 1994, there was real pressure at the grassroots to balance the budget. But I sense that we've been drowning in money and drowning in crises and that the topic just doesn't come up. Well, that's true. But I think with inflation at 5.4% and the size and scope of what the administration and Democrats in Congress are trying to do, People are saying that this is going too far. Look at the you know, president's approval rating has dropped dramatically. A lot of that has been because of the spending and because of inflation. And people are making the connection that when the government spends more money, it just creates more inflation and it doesn't create jobs. I saw something this morning that you can make almost $40,000 by doing nothing these days. That's a lot of money. And that's another issue, of course, because that's the taxpayers subsidizing someone to not work as opposed to filling the jobs that are being unfilled. I mean, we've got more jobs and we have people filling them right now. So the economy could be doing even better if the government got out of the way. So I think this is slowly going to come back and balancing a budget at any level enables people to enjoy themselves and enables state and local governments to do only what they're supposed to do and not a lot more. But if the Biden administration and Congress keep spending like this, we're going to lose the opportunity to bring things back under control. The impact of that on our children and grandchildren will really be devastating. Do you think that it will take a crisis either of inflation or a crisis of just the sheer scale of the debt payments before we really have a sort of catalytic moment where the American people wake up and say, you know, enough of this. Get it fixed. Well, not that I want the market to crash or not that I want, you know, something terrible to happen, but maybe it's something like that. You do have more wealth being created. There are good reasons for that because the underlying economy is still strong. So I think it's going to take some education. It's going to take a pretty big effort and it'll take some leadership by members of Congress and candidates to continue to point out the difference between conservatives and liberals and then the radical far left, which seems to be the direction that this administration is going in. It seems to me that there's a possibility here. I think if we can win the argument that between substantial reforms and reasonable frugality and a bias in favor of work, you look at As you point out, people who sit around all day and get $40,000 for doing nothing, well, that's culturally a disaster. I mean, it may look like it's politically clever in the short run, and supposedly people will then be grateful to Biden for allowing them to do nothing for a year. But in terms of the quality of their long-term life, 
it's much better to learn how to work than it is to learn how to wait for somebody to send you money. And I think that that's an argument that probably can be won. Well, again, it has to continue to be made. And I think numbers like that are starting to make it clear that it is not a good idea. It's all about self-worth. It's hard to feel good about yourself when you're not doing something. There's a big reward from doing something and achieving something. And that's really what made the country the greatest in the world, as we continue to be, even with the efforts to tear all that down. And I think it's important to continue to remind people that the government does not have the answers. The other thing which has really stunned me, and I'm thinking about doing a book on balancing the budget, and doing it in a way that it also becomes an excuse to look at the devastatingly negative effects of giving away this much money. But I'm going to take just two examples and ask you about them. Washington State lost $900 million to basically cyber theft, almost all of it from Nigeria, where they came in, got people's identities filed, and they took out $900 million in a state the size of Washington in one program. Then you turn around in California. I talked to the district attorney in Sacramento who's pursuing this case. They apparently have lost $32 billion in unemployment compensation. But in California, the people doing the stealing were almost all of them criminals in the California prisons who had figured out how to use the computers, were going through the identity theft, getting the money, and then giving it to their boyfriend or girlfriend outside the prison. They got $32 billion. Now, my sense is that as government has gotten bigger, it's gotten more incompetent, and that the scale of corruption and theft is just beyond breathtaking. But what do you all at Citizens Against Government Waste, what do you see on that front? That's an information technology problem. The states were not prepared to distribute the money. For example, look at the eviction issue, right? They have 40-something billion dollars out there, and they've spent only a few billion to help people who are going to be evicted. And so where is that money? Right? It's not making it through the system. As more money gets spent, of course, there's more opportunity for fraud, waste, and abuse because they just don't have the systems in place to prevent it from being wasted before it goes out. I remember Peter Grace, who was the co-founder of CUGW, used to talk about, you know, the government spending money that it borrows from people, and then it doesn't worry about paying it back, and it doesn't care where it goes. I mean, if you are trying to, again, as we talked about earlier, you're really trying to help people. You have to do this efficiently and effectively and get the money to people who truly need it. Because otherwise, it's a waste for everyone. And I remember speaking to Senator Ron Johnson, who ran a number of businesses in Wisconsin. I said, you ran a business. You know how to do things efficiently. When you talk to your colleagues about how to make things run effectively, and there were GAO reports on this. I know you've got some uh, things on your website about this. GAO reports are good. They do show how the money's being wasted. But he said, when you say to them, if you operate the program more effectively, you can help more people. What do they say? They say, eh, we'll just create a new program back to where we were before. So they don't really care that it's wasted. It's not their money. But you would think with $80 billion being spent on information technology throughout the federal government, they could fix those problems. But 90% of that money is for outdated systems just to keep them going. They can't update anything. It's astonishing. Then you look at some of these hacking experiences and your own government can't protect your personal identity. 
It's as though they're a generation or more behind. I often think it's as though the government has programs to build stagecoaches at a time when people like Bezos and Branson and Musk are going off the planet in rockets, that you have the Washington bureaucracy out here cheerfully working on a really, really high technology stagecoach. And we're supposed to think that this is something we ought to be paying for. I want you to know we're going to put up on our show page the Citizens Against Government Waste Congressional Pig Book. I know you don't have any piggies right now, but nonetheless, we think that it's a great program. We hope you're going to continue to issue the book. And who knows, in a year or two, the pigs may come back and be part of the whole program. And we're also going to put your website for Citizens Against Government Waste, www.cagw.org, so people can come straight to your website and see what you're doing, Tom. I really appreciate your taking the time to give us a brief introductory visit to a topic of hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars that are being thrown away of the money of the American people. Well, happy to do it. And as I said, we've got a lot of examples. Our Prime Cuts report saves $4 trillion over five years. And so there's a lot out there. There's no lack of information. There's just a lack of desire to get it done. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to my guest, Tom Schatz. You can review the work his organization, Citizens Against Government Waste, is doing on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners at Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.